Good morning. How are you all this morning? It's good to see you. Do you remember where we left off last week? We had a guy standing up here. Does anybody remember what his name was? Who knows what his name was? Oh, good. There's a few that know. Faith? Jeroboam. King Jeroboam. You want to come on back up? Last week, we were in 1 Kings chapter 12. And this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to reset the scene for all of us to see where we're at in this whole history. And if we look again at our timeline, is this where we're at? Are we on this timeline? Yes or no? No, no, no. We've got to go a little bit further in history because Solomon has died, and now his son Rehoboam, there on the bottom, has become king, and the kingdom is split. And we have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Rehoboam in the south, Jeroboam in the north. Can you say Rehoboam? Can you say Jeroboam? All right, good. So we got these two kings. Well, remember Jeroboam has um, this kingdom, and he has the ten tribes. We're right here in this point in the timeline. He has the ten tribes of the north. And Rehoboam only now has just the southern tribes of Judah and a little bit of Benjamin. And uh, we last week looked at this map here and we saw these major cities, Jerusalem being the primary capital of Judah, but not just the capital of Judah. Jerusalem is where we have a very special temple, don't we? We have the temple to Jehovah in Jerusalem. And you see Shechem there, that's where... Rehoboam went to be made king, but you remember that when he refused to listen to the people, he had to flee Shechem for his life as he fled back down to Jerusalem. Well, then God established Jeroboam as the king of Israel, the ten northern tribes. And he made a promise to him that if he would walk in his ways, that he would be with him, and that he would establish his house, his dynasty, as he did David's. Now, that's where we we're at. And this morning, we're going to do a quick review of where we were at last week leading up to it. If you look in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25, it tells us that Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim. That was his home, home region. And he dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Penuel, another place on the other side of the Jordan. And it tells us that Jeroboam was concerned about something. And if we look in verse 26, it says that Jeroboam said in his heart. And you remember last week we learned that Jeroboam began to listen to his own heart instead of to the word of God. God had promised him a short kingdom, but he listened to his own heart. So whereupon he has this fear in his heart, the king took counsel. And just as we learned last week, it wasn't good counsel, was it? For it says that he made two calves of gold and said unto all the people, And he set one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. 
Worse, he cast the priests out from doing their office and service to the Lord that were scattered throughout the northern tribes. And he made a house of high places. And he made priests of the lowest of the people, not lowest in poverty, but lowest in character and morality, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam, he ordained a fast, a fast in the eighth month, on the 15th day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. See the feast over in Judah? The real true feast of Jehovah that we're just in the previous month? Remember, he's afraid of all the people going down to Jerusalem for these feasts. And so that's why he sets up the golden calves. And now he's going to have a feast just like the ones in Judah here. But instead of doing it God's way in Jerusalem the way it should be done, he's, he's going to do it in a different month at a different time his own way. For as we keep reading, we find out it's according to his own heart. So it tells us, so did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the 15th day of the eighth month, even the month which he had devised of his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. And he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. So here is Jeroboam. He's hosting this feast, pagan feast, and inviting all of the people to come. And you remember that a man comes in that day. That day as Jeroboam is offering a sacrifice, he's leading the people in worshiping a golden calf. And it tells us in chapter 13, verse 1, that there came a man of God out of Judah. He came out of Judah by the word of the Lord. The Lord has given him a special message. And he comes to Bethel. And Jeroboam, he stood by the altar to burn incense. And this man of God, he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, He gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass when Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up so that he could not pull it in again to him. And the altar, the altar also, it was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. 
This got Jeroboam's attention. A prophecy has been made regarding this altar, and a sign has been given at that very moment that this prophecy would come true. The sign being that the altar, I knocked it over. When this happened, nobody knocked it over. God knocked it over and spilt the ashes and broke it. This was a sign that the prophecy would come true that he had made. And here, Jeroboam, infuriated at this man of God for what he has said, infuriate him, cries out for his guards, his soldiers, to lay hold on him. And when he stretched out his arm, he couldn't draw it in again. He couldn't draw it in again, for it was dried up. It's got the king's attention. And he looks to this man of God, and, and he answered and said unto the man of God, And the man of God besought the Lord. He prayed for him. He besought the Lord. And the king's hand was restored him again and became as it was before. Wow. Jeroboam starts to think. I like this guy. He's got power. I like him in my court. I want him to be with me. Do you think he's repented? Well, let's just for a moment assume he has. And keep on going. Look what he says to the man of God. Come home with me and refresh myself, and I will give you a reward. He's going to give him a reward? And he wants him to come home and eat. Refresh himself with the king. Sound like a plan? Well, the man of God, he replied, and he said unto the king, turned down the offer. For you see, God not only sent him to King Jeroboam with this special message and prophecy, he also instructed him that he was to eat no bread nor drink water. So the king's invitation back home for a feast, he declined. And so, in fact, he's not even supposed to go home the same way he came. And so, it says, that he went another way and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. So he's on his way home. Well, there's quite a number of people who got to see what was going on here. And you know what? There is another man of God in the town of Bethel, which isn't a surprise. And, and he is an older man. He's, he's an older man, and it tells us that his sons, can I be your son? His sons come to him, and they say to him what they had just seen. We went to the feast. We went to see Jeroboam and leading the people in the worship, and a man from Judah shows up and makes his prophecy, and he gives a sign, and the sign happened, and it's all about the arm. They tell him all the details, all the details about what happened. 
Now, here, this man, he is described to be as an old prophet. He's an old prophet in Bethel. And they told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, and the words which he had spoken unto the king. Them they also told to their father. And their father said, One way went he. For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he says unto his sons, Saddle me the ass. So they get the ass ready. They get the donkey ready, all ready to, to carry the old prophet, their father, who's going to track down this guy here. You want to go sit up under the oak tree? And so they see which way he went, and he gets on the ass that was saddled, and he rode thereon. He went after the man of God. And he found him sitting under an oak. Who told him to give this message to him? Did you see? He said that an angel spake unto him by the word of the Lord, instructing him to bring this man of God back to his house and feed him and give him water. Now, does that sound right to you? Yeah. Now, does it sound right to you? Remember what the prophet has already told us. He says in verse 9, For so was it charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. There's the instruction of God. And now there's a contradiction. A contradiction by a man who is said to be a prophet of God, who is telling him that he has got received a message from an angel from God, inviting him to disobey God. Now, what would you do? I'll be candid with you. I really struggle with this chapter. Because I feel sorry for this guy. I mean, what would you do? What, what would you do in this case? You, you know, you've, you've received one message, and now you've received something totally contradictory. You know what he needs to do right here before he does anything? He needs to be fully convinced that what God has said is what God has said. And... Um, you know what? 
I think now would be a good time for him to go directly to God. Now, we're in a little bit of a different time here because God has already, you know, some of us struggle identifying with this man because we do come to God in prayer. And God answers ours through his word. And there's other circumstances and things and ways that God moves. But God doesn't point blank speak to us as he did already to this prophet in giving him specific instructions and prophecies for what he's to do. You know what I suggest? I think this man should go and have another conversation with God and verify what has been said here. And at least if God doesn't speak to him, stick with what God has already told him. Because if you look at the end of verse 18, the Holy Spirit, the narrator here, tells us that this old prophet in Bethel, he lied unto him. It was a lie. It was a lie. So, what did the man of God do? He went back. He went back to his house, and they sat down together, and they had a meal together. They shared a meal together. They did eat bread. They drank water. And it came to pass, it came to pass that as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. He now actually does receive a word from the Lord. And he's shocked. He's horrified. And he turns and cried, it says, unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandments which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back, and hast eaten bread and drunk water in this place, of the which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread, and drink no water, thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy ancestors. I wonder what it was like for you have to deliver that message. The lying prophet now has the job of delivering a true message. I feel sorry for the man of God from Judah. I mean, talk about conflicting messages. <laughs> what, what, what? But you notice that God doesn't give conflicting messages. God doesn't give conflicting messages. And that's a key that something was wrong with his original invitation. Did you hear the prophecy? The prophecy was that your carcass shall not come into the sepulcher of thy fathers. Now, do you all know what a carcass is? Micaiah, do you know what a carcass is? You don't know what a carcass is? How about you, Hopi? Do you know what a carcass is? Hey, William. Is William back there? William, do you know what a carcass is? What is it? A carcass is a dead body. What's a sepulcher? 
A sepulcher is where a dead body is buried. And normally, in this time, people were buried where their fathers were buried. And it went that way for generations. But here, the prophecy is, thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. What's that mean? Well, that means that someday, when this man is going to die, he won't be buried with his fathers. Does that sound like such a big deal? We don't identify with this, do we? Does it really matter? Do you all have a big deal about being buried next to your dad? What was a big deal then? But it means something more than that. And I don't know that at the time either of them understood it. I don't know that either of them understood the real and the greatest significance of what has just been prophesied. Your carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher, the burial place of thy fathers. That means someday you're going to die and you won't be buried with your fathers. Now, you all think that's not a big deal. That was kind of a big deal culturally, but it was an even bigger deal when you really understand what it means. These two men, it says, it came to pass after they had eaten bread and after they had drunk that he saddled him an ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. They get ready, this donkey, he's going to go on back to Judah. He's going to go on home. And so he starts on his way home riding on this donkey. Well, as he's riding along on this donkey, look over there. came to pass that after, that when he was gone, that a lion, a lion met him by the way. And it says that the lion slew him. The lion slew him. Now, why do lions kill people? Hmm? Micaiah, do you know? Shalom, do you know? Why do lions normally kill people? You don't know? Hmm. Elsie, do you know? Ah, because they eat them. Normally, a lion kills a person because they're hungry and they're going to eat them. Well, here now, he has attacked this man, but not just this man. This man is riding on a donkey, an ass. And so he's killed the man and he doesn't touch the ass. He drags the man into the side of the road, into the ditch. And the donkey comes along and just follows and stands there next to him. And then this lion just stands there. He doesn't eat him. He just stands there. Right next to this dead man. Are you starting to get an idea of what the word of the Lord means when it says that your carcass shall not return to the sepulcher of your fathers? His carcass at this moment is in the ditch. And there's a lion standing next to him. 
And it tells us that, behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way and the lion standing by the carcass. People saw this. They walked by and, and they saw this. And this is weird. I mean, you know, how many of you have seen a lion? Well, we don't have lions around here, do we? But, 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 you know, think of any kind of a wild predator beast. We, we have some of them around here. Not many, and they're not very big. But, you know, when was the last time you saw a coyote? Or when was the last time you saw a coyote that caught something and just stood next to it and didn't eat it? Or, better yet, when was the last time you saw a coyote who killed something, was just standing there not eating it, and when you came up to it, just stood there and looked at you too? There's something weird, very weird going on here. Very weird going on. And everybody that walks by, they see this, and it's just like, this is weird. Very, very weird. It says that they came into the city, and they told it in the city. It started to be spreading through the city like gossip. Did y'all hear about this? Did y'all hear about this? And you know what? The old prophet, he, he heard it. He heard it. And he said, It is the man of God who is disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord hath delivered him unto the lion, which hath torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord, which he spake unto him. Now I wonder how you felt. How would you feel? You're the prophet. You lied to him. Your lie caused him, although it's still his fault. He's personally responsible for his disobedience. Even he knows that. To disobey God. God then uses you to tell him that he's going to be judged. Then now here you're hearing, likely within the same day, that he's been killed by a lion. And the lion's just standing there, weird. So he turns to his sons, and he says to them, Saddle me the ass. And so they do just that. They saddle the donkey, the ass. And it says that he went, and he found the carcass cast in the way as he's going along. He finds the carcass carcass cast in the way, and the ass and the lion standing by the carcass of the man of God. He found it just as it has been reported to him. And that's really weird. But it gets weirder. You know, if you ever do find a coyote or a lion who has killed another animal and is standing over it, I don't advise that you take the carcass away from it. You know what's going to happen if you try to take a lion's food? You're going to become the lion's food. How many of you want to become lion's food? No, I didn't think so. Nobody wants to become lion's food. I mean, if you came upon this scene, would, would you touch that carcass of that man? Or at least would you, would you touch it without taking care of the lion first? Well, it's implied here that the man does nothing with the lion 
But it says, it just tells us in verse 29, well, here, here it says he sees and he found his carcass in the way and the ass and the lion standing by the carcass. The lion had not eaten the carcass nor torn the ass. And the prophet took up the carcass of the man of God and he laid it upon the ass and he brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. So he takes him back to his home. And it says in verse 30 that he laid him in his own grave. And they spake and they mourned over him. Alas, my brother. And it came to pass after he had buried him that he spake to his sons, saying, Do you see him? The prophet who lied? Did you hear what he just now said? Surely it shall come to pass. What's he talking about? Well, remember last week we learned about that prophecy made against Jeroboam and his altar? that one of the sons of David would arise, Josiah by name, he's actually named, and that that son of David, descendant of David, would destroy the altars of Jeroboam, sacrifice its priests upon the altar, and burn the bones of its priests upon the altar. Last week, remember, we jumped ahead in history, and we saw that 300 years later, 300 years later, indeed, a son of David, was born, Josiah by name, who did just that. What can we learn from this? In the New Testament, it tells us that the whole Old Testament was written for our learning, was written as an example for us. Oh, don't go away. I have a quick, I have something for you. How can this, what we've learned today and about this man, help us? You, you know, this man, he lied, didn't he? He lied to the man of God. In some ways, he had a part in this man's demise. But yet, that man is responsible for his own actions. Can't blame it on him. The same is true for us. We may get bad counsel. We, we may do foolish or evil or sinful or wicked things. You can't say, oh, the devil made me do it. Well, my, my background, my experiences, my, my social economical levels made me do it. No, we have personal responsibility. Every one of us are personally responsible to obey God. We are personally responsible to believe and trust in God. 
But now let's shift for a moment to this man and to ourselves. This man sinned. Then this man received a word from the Lord. And God used him to actually prophesy judgment upon the man from Judah. And now this man is looking back over all of this, having buried this man from Judah. And he says, all that he said shall surely come to pass. I want to be buried with him. It shall surely come to pass. You know, I think this is a time in this old prophet's life where I think there's a little revival. I think there's a time here now where this man realizes and learns from his own sin and failure and the sin and failure of the man of God from Judah. And he confesses it to be true. He learned from this situation. Do you think he learned from this situation? I think he learned from this situation. So now, you know what? He's dead. The, the one in the scriptures. That, that prophet, that man of God from Judah, he's dead. And, and the old prophet from Bethel is dead. And we presume that he's buried right there next to the prophet from Judah. And now, 3,000 years have passed. Will we learn the same lesson that the old prophet from Bethel learned? It's important to obey God. It's important to know that each one of us are personally, individually, ourselves, responsible for our own actions. And we can learn that when God speaks, it is true, it is dependable, and it's reliable. And we need to believe it, and we need to obey it. You think that's a good lesson to learn from this prophet? Now there's another lesson to learn. We need to be very, 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 very careful with the counsel we receive. These, these last few weeks, we've been learning a lot about consul. There's a lot of people who've been given a lot of opinions. Remember two weeks ago, the young men, well, actually, the nation gave consul to Rehoboam. Rehoboam then sought consul from the old men who had served his fathers. They gave wise consul, but he rejected that consul, and then he went and sought the consul of his peers. He was 40 years old, those who were the same age, those who had grown up with him. And he received their consul, which was foolish consul. Rehoboam didn't figure it out. And then Jeroboam up in the north. He's all scared the people are going to go start serving Rehoboam and they're going to kill him and he's going to lose his kingdom. And so he seeks counsel. We don't know who his counselors were. And we don't even know what his counselor said. But what did Jeroboam do after the counsel? He went and he built two golden calves. Now the counselors, if they gave him bad counsel, are responsible for bad counsel. But now, Jeroboam is responsible for his actions. He's responsible for his actions as time goes by. He had bad counsel, very likely. But Jeroboam, he's, he, he needed to sought God. 
sought real true counsel. And then, first and foremost, saw God and done what God said. And he knew what God had said. Then the man from Judah, the prophet from Judah, he knew the word of God too. And then this other man shows up. You know, it's kind of interesting to think through this. This old man from Bethel is an old prophet of Bethel. Now, think about what's going on in the northern kingdom. Things aren't very nice up there. Remember, Jeroboam has driven all the Levites, of God's law, the teachers out. of God's law, they out. Flee for their lives. They flee for their lives. And they end up going down to Judah. And they end up going down to Judah. means in the northern which kingdom, and even those who were still following God, and even those who were still following God, had to for the most they go down to Judah. They go down to Judah. It says doing what Rehoboam or Jeroboam was afraid they would do. They move to Judah, and they end up strengthening the hand of Rehoboam. There's not many of God's people left in the north. And even, you know, there's, I, I wonder about this prophet, this old prophet. I wonder how many years he's been compromising or just saying nothing. I don't know. I don't want to speculate. But it is important for us to recognize, you know, here earlier in, earlier we learned about the consul from the the old men, and we go, oh, that's good counsel. We need to not ignore the, the old men of our friends of our fathers, you know, like Rehoboam did. But yet at the same time, it's not about age. Because now we've got an old prophet who's actually a prophet of God. I mean, he has a reputation. But now he's lying. You know, that still happens today. There are people still today who, who have taught the word of God or preached the word of God and are known as men of God. And for most parts, they are. But you know, none of us are beyond the temptation to compromise, just like this man. And just because someone has a long-standing reputation of teaching God's Word and being dependable doesn't mean that automatically they get a pass. Be like the men of Berea, who, by the way, we quote this about Bereans, the Bereans in the New Testament, Acts, and these were unbelievers, and the men of Berea, they searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Just because you found a preacher or a person dependable, or someday you find me as a dependable teacher or counselor, don't just automatically go check. He's good. Go with what he says. Go with what he says. Go with what he says. No, 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 no. It's not what I say. It's what God says. It's what God says. And each of us have a responsibility to seek to know what God says and seek Him. You know, it's really important that this be true. Turn with me in your Bibles to the New Testament book of Galatians. Because we are cautioned and warned by the Apostle Paul to beware, to be on guard. And a warning is given here in Galatians twice for emphasis because we need to pay attention. How are we saved? Acts 16, 31. How many of you know that? Can you say that with me? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's right. That's how you're saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in the days of Paul, there were some people, Jews, who were called Judaizers. 
who came into the church and said, that's right, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved when you also get circumcised and when you also keep the law of Moses. Is there a problem with that? There sure is a problem with that. No, we're not saved by doing good works or keeping the law of Moses. We're saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Well, in the days of Paul, and still to this day, both in this doctrine and in other areas, this is the most important doctrine, and that's the reason why it's dealt with here and is most significant, and that has to do with salvation. Paul warns against this. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. He's writing to the churches of Galatia. That's, the, that's actually his, his native land, his up, up north of Israel, wrapping around the Mediterranean Sea there to the northern edge. And he says to these churches, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He's marveling. Now, when the, the, the old man came to the prophet from Judah, he brought to him a gospel. An angel from heaven told me, the good news, that's what gospel means, the good news that you can come back to my house and eat and drink. But was that good news? No, it was a lie. Well, it's paralleled here. For Paul is disrocked that there's people who have been removed from him, that's Christ, that have called you into the grace of Christ and to another gospel, which is not another gospel. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And it's only by faith in Him that we are saved. But there's those who are perverting this gospel, this truth. And then look at verse 8. Very important. Paul warns and says, Though we... And I find it fascinating. He includes himself. He includes himself. Though we, you might say, though anybody, though they, no, no. Though we, even himself, here is evidence further of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. He says, but though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed, anathema. As we said before, so say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. You know, even to this day, there's deception from an angel from heaven. Beware. Sometimes it's even the idea of looping in somehow this messenger, this angel from heaven that somehow gives it authority. Beware. Beware because it's not an angel from heaven if it is contradicting the truth. 
So when we live life, and we have all kinds of ideas, all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of doctrines, and even all kinds of gospels, does it agree with what God has said? Even if an angel from heaven, this is one of the reasons why there's such great caution when you hear people talking about angels and being fascinated with angels and receiving messages from angels. Because we already have a reliable record. We already have the very word of God. Why would we seek messengers, angels, or worse, demons posing as angels? History has record of demons posing as angels, delivering messages supposedly from God. And it's all lies. That's why it's so important that even if you do receive a message from an angel, does it match what God has said? Search the scriptures daily to see whether these things be so. And beware. Remember what happened to the nameless man of God, a prophet from Judah. Learn from his mistakes. Now, I have a question. I wonder how many people thought how reliable this man of God from Judah was. Will his prophecies come true? I mean, look what happened to him. He gives these prophecies, and then on his way home, he disobeys God, and he gets eaten by a lion. How dependable is he? Another lesson in that. It's not so much about the mouthpiece. We can't get focused on the man who's speaking. Because you know what? I'll fail you. If you start focusing on me, it's not about me. It's about God's word. Focus on God's word. Don't throw out God's word because of some mouthpiece who was speaking truth ends up becoming a, a, a disobedient or lying prophet. Seek God, his truth, his way. Father, thank you for your word. May we trust you in all things. May we love you and serve you. And Lord, may we take warning this morning from these individuals, Jeroboam, the old prophet from Bethel, and the nameless man of God from Judah. May we take heed. And day by day, seek you and your way and your word. And as we receive counsel, may we always always be searching the scripture to see whether that console be so. We praise you now in Christ's name.